Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Friday, August 13th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, Mississippi's healthcare system braces for a flood of new COVID hospitalizations. Then, asylum seekers say they're defenseless against the pandemic in ICE facilities. Plus, Gulf Coast businesses team up to promote COVID vaccinations. And a campaign of mandated vaccines within the Natchez Adams School District. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Governor Reeves kept a low profile over the past few weeks as COVID-19 cases exploded in the state and as the governor's own COVID state of emergency declaration hurtled towards an August 15th expiration date. Reeves did grant an interview to WLOX in Biloxi yesterday, during which he cleared up some percolating uncertainty. I'm going to extend the state of emergency. I've been in uh, extensive conversations with our emergency management agency as well as Dr. Dobbs and his team at the Department of Health. And there are a number of reasons for us to extend the emergency. Um, You know, we have a system of care in place right now where we take patients from various hospitals and make sure that they are being transferred to where beds are available. Um, That state of emergency needs to stay in effect for that system of care to stay in effect. It also uh, gives us the ability and gives us options to bring additional resources into our state, which is something that we're working very hard to do, particularly when it comes to personnel, nurses, doctors, uh, respiratory therapists, etc. Yesterday, the state reported a new record of well over 4,000 cases of COVID-19. Skyrocketing case counts stand to burden Mississippi's overwhelmed health care system even further. Reeves framed hospital conditions as serious, but broadly under control. We're not at unprecedented levels in terms of total hospitalizations. Our peak was actually 1,444 Mississippians. are being pushed. There's, there's no question. Uh, we're a little less than 1,400. Uh, our ICU beds are above our original peak. You're exactly right. We had 337 at our peak. Uh, we were at 348 two days ago. So, and it's, it's ticking up, and it's probably giving the trajectory it's likely to go up further, and that's the reason we're taking additional steps. Our biggest challenge in our health care system 
is not beds, but actually staff to staff those beds. And so we've got the physical things that we need, uh, but we need employees. I am informed that over two that the hospitals across Mississippi have lost over 2,000 nurses over the last six months. Um, and that's a, that's a huge number, and that's really what's putting the integrity of our healthcare system at risk, and that's the reason we're taking action. That is the reason that we're doing things like reaching out uh, through the EMAC system, as we would do if it were a tornado or a hurricane, to request additional resources and additional assets from other states, signing contracts with private sector entities to get more people here to supplement the number of employees that we have at our hospitals. Our thanks again to WLOX for that audio. So additional hospital resources, what does that look like? Good afternoon. So um, unfortunately, we're standing in a tent again. Um, we None of us wanted it to come back to this point, but it's gotten to the point where we're just unable to care for the patients at UMC and in the state of Mississippi that that need the care with COVID. Dr. Alan Jones oversees the COVID response at UMMC. He's standing in the middle of a massive white tent erected in the medical center's parking garage. This facility here will become a hospital unit. It'll house 20 beds. Uh, We will put COVID patients here. There'll be nine ICU patients that require uh, somewhat limited amount of care, oxygen and supportive therapy, but are too ill uh, to go home. We already have a waiting list uh, of patients to come here from other hospitals. When you're seeing a field hospital at a major academic medical center, we're pretty much on the, uh, you know, at a collapse type system. This is not enough beds to support the state of Mississippi. If we continue to see that rise like we saw today, you can use arithmetic to say how much it's going to result in hospitalizations and deaths. We will continue to see problematic placement of patients, and we will need more facilities like this or some other pop-off valve if we continue to see that. We expect an updated COVID case count within the next hour. Coming up, COVID swirls in ICE detention facilities. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Shortly after COVID first hit the U.S., the Immigration and Customs Enforcement Agency, or ICE, emptied its detention facilities to help slow the outbreak. But amid a big surge of migrants crossing the southern border in the last year, ICE is again detaining tens of thousands of migrants. And the agency is under fire as the weekly rate of COVID-positive detainees in isolation appears to have doubled since June. Shalina Chetlani of the Gulf States Newsroom tells our Rob Lane what she's hearing from asylum seekers. They said there were a lot of people in these centers, and it was very difficult to maintain social distancing, that some were only given one mask for their entire stay in detention, that there was very little time to get fresh air outside, and that if you did get sick, you were basically put in one room with other sick people and kind of forgotten. Here's what one asylum seeker from Cuba, Raudel, said about what happened to people with severe infections from his perspective. No, te le un poco medicamento y... Y te lo dejaban ahí, todavía están ahí, muchas personas están todavía ahí, detenidas. 
He said they were just given a bit of medication and just left in the same condition as others. Were you able to get a response from ICE about this kind of thing? I was able to talk to officials from ICE who said that they are following COVID-19 protocols and especially when it comes to transfers of detainees, which they say only happens if absolutely necessary during the pandemic. Those reasons could range from a detainee having a medical issue and needing to go to a hospital to centers being overwhelmed with population and needing to move people to a different site. They also said that vaccinations are as high as 70% for this population and that vaccinations are the best way to avoid spread. Is there evidence one way or another that ICE detainees are at higher or lower risk for COVID? It's really hard to draw solid conclusions conclusions from ICE's public coronavirus database. One, because our analysis found that the percentage of people who have COVID in any given week didn't seem to follow a normal curve. You know, in a 10-day period in May, I saw that the number of people in isolation for COVID went from around 2,000 to around 800 people. I didn't get a response from ICE about where those numbers came from, but I did talk to the Office of Inspector General for Homeland Security for the Department of Homeland Security. And while they said that ICE had implemented many of their suggested mitigation measures in one facility they investigated, Adams, which is in Natchez, Mississippi, their inspection did also find at the time, which was in February, that people weren't really masking that well or distancing. And that aligns with what they, detainees who were released just last month were telling me is still going on. Um, the Office of Inspector General did say that the ICE data that they had access to was incomplete for the time period that they looked at um, in Adams Correctional. So they gathered their own data to draw conclusions. What we found was partly based on data that ICE gave us, but also based on data we gathered directly from Adams facility staff, surveillance, videotapes, interviews. What's next? The Office of Inspector General for the Department of Homeland Security says it's conducting a system-wide audit of ICE facilities, in particular on how it's mitigating COVID-19 spread when transferring detainees to other sites, but don't expect a report for six months to a year. In the meantime, our analysis of what's publicly available online shows the percentage of people in isolation or under monitoring for covid is higher than before. And that's while the Delta variant is raging in the Gulf states where thousands of ICE detainees are being held. Shalina Chetlani of the Gulf States Newsroom. Shalina, thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Coming up, Mississippi may get a vaccine lottery after all. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Unlike some other states like Ohio and California, Mississippi has not yet implemented a lottery to encourage COVID vaccine uptake. According to state officials, that's partially due to restrictions attached to federal funding Mississippi received to aid its vaccine rollout. Now a group of business leaders are stepping in to launch a lottery powered by the state's private sector. Ashley Edwards is president and CEO of the Gulf Coast Business Council. This was an idea that was spurred by sort of a committee of us that got together. Myself, Paige Roberts of the Jackson County Chamber of Commerce, 
Amy Brandenstein at Chevron and Georgia Story. She is at the Singing River Health System. And the way that we started it is that we, you know, just decided that we felt like we could do more, felt like there were other states that were showing that they were having some success with incentive programs. So as a result of that, we, we got together to talk about what we could do. And then this idea to try to create our own incentive program using private funding from our business community was born. How many businesses have come on board to help you provide these incentives? So we're actually sort of, you know, we're, we're going a bit out of order here because we're announcing it as we're in the process of actually creating it. So we haven't even, we have not even asked businesses yet to make the donations. In fact, this is the first day we're putting the information out there. But we've actually already had three businesses just who heard it just sort of through the grapevine that we were doing this. And we've already had $70,000 donated from Scarlet Pearl Casino, Chevron, and Ingle Shipbuilding, all of whom we didn't actually request the funding from. They just heard about it and, and went ahead and said, look, we want to help. Well, that's a good start, certainly. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, how is this program going to work? Uh, you know, someone decides, okay, I'm going to get vaccinated because there might be an incentive here. What is their incentive and how do they go about it? We are working on putting the logistics of that together now. We have reached out to the Mississippi Lottery to determine if we provide the cash prize, are they able to, to, use, to utilize their system to help us be able to draw a winner? They obviously already have that system in place, and it makes a lot of sense. They're checking right now on whether statutorily they are, would be allowed to help us do something like that. If that's not the case, we've got an option B and an option C. So we don't have the ability for people today to register for the incentive program. We're just letting them know that it, that, that is coming. That will be something that we are going to have out in the next few days. The main thing for people to know is that if you are fully vaccinated at the time that this drawing occurs, and we think that that will be sometime in September, and we also hope to have additional rounds of this throughout so that even people who are not vaccinated will have an opportunity to be eligible. But if you have been vaccinated at the time that this first drawing occurs, you will be eligible, you know, and, and that will include people that were vaccinated in January and people who are vaccinated today. So if you are fully vaccinated, you will be eligible to participate. Do you know how long this incentive period will last? You say you may have repeating drawings, but is this going to be drawn out over a long period of time? Do you foresee that? We're thinking about splitting it into smaller cash prizes so that we can have multiple winners as opposed to one sort of big jackpot. And our intention is to uh, continue to award uh, incentives for, the back, for people taking the vaccines uh, until we've exhausted the funds. None of our organizations will take a penny of this money. Every dime that is donated will go directly to the vaccine incentive program to get people incentivized to go get their vaccine. You know, we don't know what the total amount will be. You know, we may do for, you know, we're looking right now at whether or not we're going to do $10,000 awards or even something higher than that. But we will continue to give it away until it has all been exhausted. And we hope that that will get a lot of Mississippians to get vaccinated and also put some money to their pockets that can go right back into our local economy. Ashley, you said you're not quite ready with the registration process, but how can people find out when you are ready and when they can sign up? So we will, we will push this out through all media channels in the state, certainly locally, 
soon as we have that ready, we'll have it on social media. Uh, we'll have it online. The only reason we put the information out there before we had that settled is because we want to let people know that they don't have to wait on us to create the registration for them to get vaccinated. Because any time that they have been vaccinated before we do this drawing, they will be eligible. So please get your vaccines today, and then we will make sure that you find out how to participate in this program as soon as we have all of the details in place. Ashley Edwards is the president and CEO of the Gulf Coast Business Council. Thank you very much, Ashley. Thank you. Coming up, our series on Mississippi schools and the pandemic continues. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. A contractor ever tell you the price of something and it sounds so high you think, eh, maybe I'll try it myself. Some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere. You're listening to Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. This month, students across Mississippi face an uncertain return to school as the highly transmissible Delta variant of COVID-19 spreads unchecked. In dense, chaotic settings like school buses and cafeterias, masking and social distancing rules are almost impossible to enforce. In some districts, those rules don't even exist. At the same time, students across the state are still suffering the academic after-effects of last year's lockdown. The overwhelming majority of administrators say a return to virtual learning is all but off the table. So, what's the plan? This week, we pose that question to experts, decision makers, and stakeholders throughout Mississippi. This is Year Two. Philip West is a former state representative and the former mayor of Natchez. He now serves on the Natchez Adams School Board, where in recent weeks he's led a campaign to mandate COVID vaccines for teachers, staff, and other school district employees. He joins us now. It's important, number one, because it's a health crisis and it's a public safety situation. So the best way to mediate this particular crisis is through vaccination. So there's no reason in my mind, there's no rationale for us not requiring all employees to be vaccinated, particularly for the protection of the children and the students who are coming to our schools and for the community at large and for their co-workers. When you made the presentation to the board, what was their reaction? Actually, when I brought it up at a, just a work set kind of session, everybody seemed to agree that they thought it would be something that we needed to do or needed to consider. But since that time, um, our feedback has been kind of, in which I have no objection to trying to see if, in, in fact, we can come up with some kind of an incentive program to uh, encourage all the teachers and so forth to be vaccinated, and I'm not going to object to that, but what I'm going to do is insist that even through that particular process or whatever incentive program that we, we may develop, whatever number of persons who remain unvaccinated should be required to be vaccinated, and we should have a process established whereby we would try and find out why they're resisting vaccination and do it on an individual kind of basis, but the bottom line is I think it should be mandatory as it is for children to go to school, to be vaccinated, for them to enter the public school district. They have to be vaccinated. Other persons in our society, it's required that they be vaccinated. So this is nothing new. It's just a matter of 
making sure that we do the rational thing and the thing with the most common sense that's going to protect the total community, including the, the people who work in the school district and the children who attend our schools. Do you have a position on whether students over the age of 12 should be vaccinated? Well, at, at some particular point, once we move further along, that probably be, some, be something that we should pursue also. But I'm thinking the first line of defense are the teachers and employees of the school district. There is no vaccination for kids up to 12 years old. And even if there was, and if there was a vaccination available for them and the kids over 12, I think a pursuit should be given in reference to requiring that they be vaccinated. You know, you have the right for your own or the individual opinion, but you don't have the right to put others' health and safety in danger. That's where your freedom stops. It stops before it gets there. And so it just doesn't make sense to me why there was uh, so many people who are resisting it. I could understand if, if in fact, there's a medical reason or so forth. But beyond that, we should be vaccinated because this is the only real last line of defense that we have right now to mediate what is happening throughout our country and throughout our particular communities. Because if we don't do this, this warning to get back to normal will never occur. And I actually believe that we're going to be in a similar kind of a situation as it relates to needing vaccines for years to come. So we need to prepare ourselves to make sure that everybody we can require, I think governments ought to require their employees to be vaccinated. I think police officers ought to be required to be vaccinated. I think people who work for city, county, and state governments ought to be required to be vaccinated. That's where I'm coming from because at this particular point, that's the only real favorable solution that we have in order to be able to get back to having a somewhat normal life. Classes began on August 2nd, and what the Natchez Adams School District reported to the Board of Health in terms of cases were 12 altogether. 11 of them were positive cases in students, and one was positive for a staff position. It's impossible to have any kind of a 100% of exclusion from this particular virus and so forth. But at the same time, the more you increase the vaccination rate, the more you have mask wearing and those kinds of things and and the cleanliness that's required in order for us to be in school, the more you have those kinds of things, I would hope that it would lower the need in the future and lower the number of persons who would be exposed and and, and put in, in, in harm's way as it relates to being sick or uh, uh, possibly even death. That's that's what my hope is. So uh, to me, it's just a, a continuous uh, thing that we need to do our, do our part as leaders and as, as school board officials or teachers or whatever the case may be in order to try and mediate the possibility of this uh, remaining with us more broadly than it is now. Philip West is a member of the Natchez Adams School Board. Mr. West, I thank you for being with us and sharing your thoughts and your position about this with us. Thank you for having me. West will bring the matter before the school board again when they meet on Tuesday. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter, and fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. 
I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.